listening to the podcast by CISD SOAS, the Center of International Studies and Diplomacy. This is SOAS CISD interviewing with Emily Bauman, Senior Programs Officer at Refugee Support Network. So we've just come out of the event Education Beyond Borders, which looks at SOAS's promise to provide scholarship for refugees. You mentioned in your talk that in a way the current refugee crisis has shined a light on the difficulties faced by refugees seeking higher education. How would you analyse the progress which has been made compared to the situation a few years ago? Um, I think definitely a lot of progress has been made and that's a really exciting thing and it's a lot to, to celebrate. If we look back at the original group of young people in the Brighter Futures group in Manchester who wanted to get to university, it was the first time they'd really become aware of this issue. They started campaigning and then as I said in my talk, um, some universities made it possible for them to be categorised as home students and then universities since then have started creating bursaries and scholarship places, fee waivers for a number of of students and is really significantly changed things, enabling people actually to go to university. I think there's still a lot more to be done. There is a network of universities that now offers fee waiver places to asylum seekers or those with temporary status, but it is still quite a small number of universities compared to the universities out there who do have the capacity to respond. Alongside the greater publicity, the refugee crisis has arguably deepened divisions in terms of the rhetoric of the good refugee compared to the bad migrant. Yet, as we heard from Dami earlier, it's incredibly difficult for many migrants to access higher education. How do you feel that this focus on refugees leaves other equally suffering migrant groups forgotten or even seen as less worthy as deserving these scholarships and this attention? I think one of the things that Dami said tonight that I think was very important was the fact that we have to remember that these are people and when we talk about refugees or migrants or asylum seekers we're putting labels on people and first and foremost they are people and I think as I look back at young people I've worked with who we've helped to move forward in their education they're really excited about being in education because it makes their identity that of a student rather than that of a migrant or a refugee or an asylum seeker whatever their immigration status is I think I think there is a risk I think looking back over the past the way that scholarships have been created for refugees has hung around the fact that they are a particular group of people who are fleeing conflict and persecution and I think that's often an easier thing to argue when you're trying to persuade a university to start a scholarship programme but I think although it has had some benefit and has enabled things to move forward it has also inadvertently created this problem that somehow there are other people out there who are not so deserving so I think the first step really is to be conscious of the fact that these are labels that first and foremost we're dealing with people Um, and then also I think though to recognise that these different immigration statuses and categories are affected differently by different policies and in terms of access to higher education it's very important to understand what people's immigration status is and how that interacts with um, their access to university so I think we do need to look beyond the labels but also recognise that different people are entitled to different things and there needs to be an intelligent and informed approach to it. Mm -hmm. So you've been working with Refugee Support Network for the past three years now. What would you say is the most emotive moment you've had while working with the organisation? 
Um, that's a really difficult question, a positive one and a negative one, <laughs> and many emotive moments. Um, I think, probably because it's fresh in my mind from speaking about it earlier, was when Hamid, who's a young person I'd worked with quite um, a lot to see him move forward in his education, when he came into our office with his student card. And it was the same day that he came in with his indefinite leave to remain papers. And we were so excited by his indefinite leave to remain. We were like, this is amazing. You've wanted this for so long. And he just stopped. He said, yeah, but look at my student card. That's what I've come in to show you. And I think for me, it was a really emotive moment because I just saw lots of barriers have been overcome in his life that he was suddenly feeling that his future was opening up for him and for me it really affirmed all the work that we do because the reason we invest in young people's education is because we think that that shows that we believe there is hope we believe they have a future that is worth investing in and preparing for and so it's people like Hamid and other stories like that that I've come across that really inspire me to do my job. One of the questions in the session earlier asked about globalisation, but in terms of the UK, to what extent does Refugee Support Network cooperate with other organisations, for instance, Let Us Learn? We work very closely with them. In in terms of access to higher education, Mm -hmm. there are numerous organisations working in this area in different ways. Our focus is really on supporting individual young people through that process and also running training in universities to try and help them understand what the issues are for refugees, asylum seekers and increasingly for young people like Dami who have got a different form of temporary status but also want to move forward in their education. So there's a lot of collaboration, a lot of working together and I think that's really important because I think it's important that these issues are tackled from lots of different angles. So as much as it's great to be able to empower young people to move forward, it's also important to do things like training like we do in universities because unless universities are really understanding the issues, they're not going to be able to make progress in this area either. Talking about universities understanding the issues, in this instance, the student body is having to put quite a lot of pressure on SOAS to maintain their promise to actually um, make these, these scholarships a reality. In your work with other universities, what do you find are the most effective ways in engaging their cooperation? I think one of the ways that the scholarship schemes have worked to date is that students have to be offered a place at the university before they apply for the scholarship Mm -hmm. so universities aren't being asked to invest heavily and financially in someone that they don't actually want to be in the university they're actually choosing to support someone who's been offered a place already and they've chosen to be academically ready for that course and someone they want to be part of their university so I think that it helps universities when they see that they're not being asked to take in unidentified anonymous random people they're actually being asked to make it possible for someone they already want to be there to take part in it so I, I think that's important and I think for universities it's really important for them to understand that this is a model that has worked that the concerns they may have around people's immigration status because it's temporary or because they're uncertain about where that person's future is these are questions that have been thought through and there are numerous examples now of young people who've had really quite precarious immigration statuses yet have gone through the university system and graduated so I think for universities it's really important to address their concerns and recognise their fears and recognise their generosity and to capitalise on it and um, to be informed yourself I think as students 
if the university is busy and not wanting to engage, there's a lot of groundwork you can do to show that you've really researched and understood the issues. And in the Article 26 Education for All Guide, there is a lot of information, there are case studies and statistics you can draw on to make a really strong case for this. And finally, to end on a clear message, why is it so important for asylum seekers to be able to access higher education? Thinking about all the young people I've worked with um, in my job who want to go to higher education, for them it's something that is going to enable them to move forward with their life, both at a personal level because they are keen to learn, they're keen to develop, they're keen to learn a, learn a particular qualif- have a particular qualification, but also they're so keen to contribute to society and they see that as a way of doing that. I think whether whether it's higher education or lower levels of education, the reason we think it's worth investing in is because young people themselves talk about that as something which gives them hope. And I think that if young people see higher education as a way of moving towards that hope, that's something we should be encouraging. Thank you very much. Thank you. This was a podcast by CISD SOAS, the Center of International Studies and Diplomacy. Thank you for listening. <laughs>